So this morning I want to move right to this, and I'll be cognizant of our time, but I will not shortcut it, the Word of God, because it is the very Word of God. Isaiah 42, this is on the screen. The, psalm, the, the, the prophet, some have called him the gospel prophet of the Old Testament. Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant. Say that with me. Behold. That's the title of the message today. Behold my servant whom I uphold. My elect one. That means he's chosen. He's called. In whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice. Nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. Smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. That means he will, be, he will bring forth just decisions faithfully. He will not fail or be discouraged Till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord. Who created the heavens and stretched them out. Who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it. Who gives breath to the people on it. And the spirit and spirit to those who walk in it. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open the, the blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, to those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to another, nor praise to carved images. Behold, the former things have come to pass. In other words, the prophecies that I've given, you've seen them come to pass, but he says, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Lord, bless, I pray, your servant. Bless us with the anointing of your presence. Bless this, your people, as we feast upon your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Behold, my servant. On these Sundays, we have been beholding him, have we not? Mm. Moves my heart. Do you remember when you first met him? I've met many people who seem to have gotten, it's gotten old to them. It's never gotten old to me. These beautiful songs, Stephanie, sort of beautiful song you sang this morning. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. You can have this world, but I want to behold him today. We've been beholding him. Nothing more glorious, nothing more noble, nothing more wonderful. The technical term is Christology. It's the study of the person and the work of Jesus. In the last five weeks, we have talked about his deity, his humanity, the mind of Christ. Jesus the Christ. Last week, the eight affirmations of his being the Christ. Today, we behold the servant of Jehovah. Which, of course, is none other than Jesus Christ. The Old Testament prophets 
talked about one who would come who would be the servant of the Lord. In fact, it's pervasive in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes when a minister ministers on something and he says something, then you start reading and it's like, it's like when you buy a new car and it's a white car and then you start seeing white cars everywhere, you know, or, or, or purple cars or whatever kind of cars, you know. You buy something, you see it everywhere. When you start seeing that phrase, that term, that title, the servant of the Lord, or the Lord's servant, then you start singing. And I, I challenge you, as you go through your Old Testament, look how pervasive it is. The prophets would speak about this one who would come, who would be the servant of the Lord. For instance, Zechariah said this in 3 and 8. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. Now the branch has to do with his humble beginnings. And we know that Jesus was humble. From a very simple Jewish family, poor. And we have these, these four, uh, in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, you have the, the four songs of the servant. And one you're very familiar with in just touching on it and emphasizing on it by way of introduction. You remember the song of the suffering servant. You'll remember it. Now, we understand that the chapters and chapter breaks and verses, those were added later in the 12 and 1300s. Those were not in the originals. But aren't they wonderful to be able to say, you know, John 3.16, for instance. You know, you, you, where were you, there was really no John 3.16. It's just, it's just the word. But yet, thank God for those people. In fact, one of the men who did the chapter divisions did it on horseback. I won't get into that. But anyway, but there was a terrible chapter break. You know, in Isaiah 53, it says... You know, who has believed our report? But that's a terrible chapter break. Because in Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, here's what it says. Behold my servant. He should deal prudently. He should be exalted and extolled very high and be very high. Just as, you, as many were astonished at you. So the visage, his visage was marred more than any man. And his form more than the sons of men. So he shall speak on many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told they shall see. And what they had not heard they shall consider. And then then it, it's all one. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he. Who is this? Who is this he? This is the servant of the Lord. Here the suffering servant. He shall grow up. Before him as a tender plant. As a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. For he is despised and rejected by man. What will this servant be? He'll be like this. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our, for our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him. Who? The servant of the Lord. Laid on him the iniquity of us all. Seven, he was oppressed. He was afflicted yet opened out his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter for a sheep. As a sheep before its shearers is silent. He opened out his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? 
For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. This suffering servant would bear iniquity of his people. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When you, when, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. For he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Notice, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul into death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the, the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. This thought of the servant of the Lord. The Lord's servant or the servant of Jehovah is pervasive. Throughout the word of God. And we know who the servant of the Lord is. We know who Isaiah is talking about here. We know in the 42nd chapter in the first verse. When it says behold my servant. We know that's Jesus Christ. It's a messianic prophecy. What should we say about him today? Several things. I want us this morning to look at the greatness, the greatness of the Lord's servant, Jesus. The first thing I want you to consider is the greatness of his calling. In verse 1 of 42, what we're going to look at this morning, he calls him my elect. That means, that means he is called, he is a called and he is a chosen servant. Now, I don't remember, I don't, or rather I don't know if you remember and maybe if you're a preacher, or you're not a preacher, that is. Maybe it's a little different. I don't know, because I don't have your experience. But if you are a minister of the gospel, or any strong call of God that you received, it's very, it's very moving. It's very touching. It's very all-embracing, if I could say it that way. It's, it's something to know when you really realize, as a human being... That you have been divinely summoned by the God of the universe. You know, I hear people talk about the call of God, and it's like they talk about it very lightly. You should never take lightly the call of God, no matter what it is. And I'm never taking the call of God lightly. And I can tell you this, my call came so strong. It's something I have never for one millisecond doubted. It was so amazing, the call of God. In this book, Isaiah talks a little bit about his call. And I'll just glance at it for a moment. In the sixth chapter, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, Uzziah served 40, 52 years. Had to be a great influence on Isaiah to go up under this really godly king. He fell at the end. But it says this about his call, this call of God. I was, the Lord, uh, uh, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, on a throne, high and lifted up. And his train of his robe filled the temple. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah starts seeing angelic beings called sheriffims. And they had six wings. And he's so overwhelmed 
Because he sees them, and this is, his, this is a vision when he's called of God to be the prophet of the Lord. To be, if you will, the servant of the Lord. Of course, in a lesser manner. And these seraphim are crying out in the Lord's temple as he's seeing the Lord on the throne. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And he's so overwhelmed. The first thing he knows is what every person knows when they get truly in the presence of holy God. How wicked we are and how sinful we are. And Isaiah cries out and said, I'm a sinful man. I live in the midst of sinful people. I have unclean lips. Now think about this. What, what, is the, what is the most holy thing in a prophet? It's his lips. And yet, in our greatest day of righteousness on our own, in the presence of holy God, is dirty. Because no one is righteous without him. And all of a sudden, the angel takes the coal off the altar, touches him, and said in, in, in verse number 6, one of the seraphim flew, having in his hand a live coal. He'd taken from the tongs of the altar. He touched my mouth. And he said, Behold, I've touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Verse 8. And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Here it is. Here's the call. Here's the divine summons. Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And this must have had an amazing impact in Isaiah's life because he writes it down for us to read. And he said, Here am I, Lord. Here am I. Send me. And he said, Go tell this people. Isaiah's talking about his call. Any call of God is an amazing thing. But I want you to know this. When we're talking about Isaiah 42 verse 1, and we're talking about not a servant of the Lord, but we're talking about the servant of the Lord. We're talking about none other than the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonder to behold. It's a wonder to behold. What would we say about beholding this servant, this call of God? I would first of all say this. This servant, Messiah, is, is, call, is a called, chosen, and elect. And he is going to be a Moses-type leader. And what, what do you mean? In verse 7 of uh, Isaiah 42, he says, he's going to bring out the prisoners from the prison. And what, what do we mean by that? We mean this, that Moses, Moses was a leader who brought the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage from under the domination. But there's a great, much greater deliverance that the servant of Jehovah will bring and he will deliver people from the eternal sin. He will break bondage of the enemy and he will deliver people from lostness and hopelessness. Because also in verse 7, he says, he's going to open the eyes of the blind. He's going to bring out the prisoners from the prison and those who sit in darkness of the prison house. And isn't that what our gospel does? And isn't that what our Jesus does? He is the light of the world. And this call of God to the servant of the Lord, mine was in time. And I was just a young man. But this call of the servant of Jehovah, Jesus was beyond time, and it's beyond space. The prophet said, he is of old, from past, from eternity. One place says, before the foundation of the world, he had been called. It's a call like no other. His calling as the servant of Jehovah, it was his one driving passion. Can you listen to it here? Listen to the passion of Jesus. And if you listen, if you listen to people, just listen to them a little bit, you'll know it's in their heart. Here's what Jesus' driving passion was. He said in John 6, he said, For I have come down from heaven to, do, to not do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
In John 4, he said to his disciples, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In Matthew, here he is in a garden and he falls on his face and he's praying. And he says this, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but let your will be done. And the writer of Hebrews says this, Behold, I have come in the volume of the books. It's a quotation from the Old Testament. It is written, To do your will, O God. This was the driving passion of Jesus. He was called as the servant of Jehovah. The greatness of his calling is he is called to be our redeemer. This servant of the Lord the servant of Jehovah, is the joy and the delight of the Father. In Isaiah 42, 1, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect, notice, in whom my soul delights. This is what the Father says about the Son. And I think today, what does it say about our nation? Or any nation who rejects what God delights in? Jesus came to his own, his own rejected. He was rejected in his first coming. And I'm going to tell you, if Jesus came back today, he would be rejected again. You say, really? Yes, really. Uh, try taking Jesus into the schoolhouse. Uh, just uh, be a teacher and, and uh, uh, just uh, try this out. Just open the Word of God in your public, public school tomorrow. Today we're going to open with prayer. We're going to open with, God, with uh, the Lord's Prayer. Oh, I dare to say you're going to get a meeting. Yeah, going to get a meeting. Uh, you think Jesus is rejected? Just go to a movie house, uh, movie theater. And, and before it starts, just go down to the little front platform and say, Hey, folks, I know we're about to watch a movie, but could, could we just take a moment and worship Jesus? Could, we just, could, we just, could you just pray with us a second? You're a religious nut. Get out of here. We don't need that Jesus stuff. See, see try, try it out. See how it works for you. I know a guy that did that one time. Didn't work out that great. Used to, in high school games, they would pray before. Read an article yesterday. Just yesterday. Probably some rural town. You know, a lot of these rural towns get away with stuff that the city, not, you know, they're not under the eye of the, the liberal devils. I'm, what, oh, sorry, liberal devils. Did I say that? People, some, someone complain. There could be 10,000 Christians, 10,000 wholesome Americans, but one person, one atheist complaining, they shit, now they say, okay, we won't, we won't do the prayer anymore. But yet God delights in Jesus. Come on, God delights in him. Just, just try proclaiming the words of Jesus. Try, try proclaiming his morals about morals, marriage, and money. See how that works for you. See how, see how accepted you'll be. He's rejected more than ever before, I believe. So the question is, do we delight in the servant of Jehovah? Do we delight in him? Do we delight in his words? Do we delight in his worship? Do we delight in his work, his ways? Do we wonder at his redemption? Do you realize the Father delights in him? The angels delight in him? All the hosts of heaven delight in him? Don't you think the church on earth should be delighting in Jesus? What an amazing Savior. The greatness of his calling, none, none other. He is the servant of Jehovah. Behold, behold the servant. Behold my servant. Not only his calling, but I want you to see the greatness of this title, my servant. 
Now, to the unregenerate mind, how demeaning is that? You know, if I were to call you a servant, or if you were to call me a servant, you would say, how demeaning that is. But we realize that people that are part of God's church, and those of us who are part of God's kingdom, to be a servant is to walk in greatness. When you're a servant, you walk in honor. Jesus had a group of disciples that couldn't get this. They were always jockeying for position. They were always wanting the first place. They were always wanting the top shelf, the top seat, the best place, number one. And they had a couple of them come to Jesus with the dumbest request you ever heard. Jesus, and I'm sure they said in old King's English, we wouldest that thou wouldest please give us what we requesteth. And he probably says, okay, guys, what is it? When you come into your kingdom, can't we sound so spiritual when we're so foolish? When you come into your kingdom, me and my brother, we want to be on the right hand and the left hand. I mean, they want to be the Son and the Holy Ghost. I don't... They weren't thinking about serving. They weren't thinking about being humble. They weren't thinking about lowering themselves. They were thinking about themselves, promoting themselves, elevating themselves. What do we call it? It's pride. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this. Are you able to drink the cup, etc.? They said, yes. We're able to drink it. Jesus said, yeah, you're going to drink it. You're going to drink the cup I drank. In other words, you're going to suffer. You're going to be baptized with the baptism But he said, but to sit on my right hand and left side. See, here's the servant of Jehovah describing what it is to be servant. And he says this, not mine to give. But then the other ten heard it, it says. And they were greatly displeased. I think they were thinking, they got to him first. We wanted the right hand and the left. But Jesus called them. He said, come on, guys. Let me teach you something about real greatness. Let me teach you what real greatness is. Here's what he says. You know know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, lord it over them. That means they exercise authority over them. They seek to dominate other people. And then it says this. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great (coughs) among you. Shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And not only did Jesus do that, Jesus not only proclaimed the greatness of the servant of Jehovah, that title, that greatness of that title, behold, my servant. He proclaimed what it was, but then he demonstrated it. I mean, we can't just talk about it. Before the, before the Last Supper, what does he do? Takes off the outer garment. He puts the towel on. He starts washing the disciples' feet. He comes to the apostle Peter and he said, Shall you wash my feet? You're not washing my feet. And he said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you're, you have no part with me. He said, wash my, wash my head too. You know, Peter's always out there, bipolar. Had a spiritual bipolarness, you know. 
Wash my head too. Jesus said, if you've got your, if you're washed, all you need to do is wash your feet. I mean, no, we need daily cleansing. What an amazing thing. Here's the God of the universe, the servant of Jehovah, serving them, washing their feet. And we think about quickly the greatness of his character. Verse 6 of Isaiah 42, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Jesus is perfectly righteous as the servant of the Lord. Now, word longs for leaders. Our world longs for good leaders. And over the many decades, we've seen both spiritual leaders and we've seen both political leaders fail us time and time and time again. I say something and I believe it's true. I think we, we could possibly have some of the most ungodly national leaders that we've ever had in our nation's history. How can you say that, Pastor? Because the laws that have been passed could not be passed unless ungodly people are pushing them. This ungodly abortion, this ungodly sexual immorality that's being flaunted in the face of God, in the face of God's church. It's not who we are. It's not who God created us to be. But you know, Jesus is perfectly holy. Many of the great leaders of the Bible, like David, as great as he was, he succumbed to adultery and lust. Even Moses, what an incredible man, succumbed to anger. King Uzziah, as I mentioned before, pride. Great man, 52 years on the throne, a good man, but pride got in his heart. Peter himself, the apostle, fear and compromise, denied the Lord. But yet Jesus is a perfect leader. He's the perfect servant of Jehovah. He's perfect in every way. He's never failed. He's never disappointed anyone. He always keeps his word. He always lives a perfect life. And he's a perfect servant. He finished what God had called him to do. Verse 4, verse four said, he will not be discouraged. He on the cross, he said, it's finished. And I have to give you this before we conclude. Not only the greatness of this calling, the greatness of of his character, the greatness of his title. But what about the greatness of his care? Now look at this. I want you to listen to these beautiful words. I'm amazed at how much the Holy Spirit can put in in, in the beauty that he can speak. Listen to these words. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Listen. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. Here's what, here's what I see. The servant of Jehovah will demonstrate justice and mercy in absolute perfect balance. It says, in fact, it says, in, in justice for truth. That means he will faithfully bring forth justice. Messiah, the servant of Jehovah. Behold my servant. Look at his love. A bruised reed he won't break. I'll show you what that means. A smoking flax he will not quench out. How will he do this? Just a quick illustration. He came in the temple early one morning. He sat and he was there teaching. And these religious leaders bring a woman, drag a woman in there. And he sat right in front of everybody, embarrassed her. And said, Jesus, this woman's caught in a very act of adultery. The law says she needs to be stoned. 
And it did. It is what it said. The law says that she needs to be stoned. What do you say? That's gotcha politics before gotcha politics. He's gotcha questions. You don't want to go head to head with Jesus. Let me tell you, you don't want to go intellect to intellect with Jesus. Jesus didn't even say anything to him. He just kneels down, starts writing on the ground. And every, every scholar that's ever lived has said, Oh, I, I think this and I think this and nobody knows. I believe they were looking at him and said, What's this crazy man doing? Well, the truth is he was the only one that had the right mind in that situation. Finally, he lifts up and he looks at those men. You that, you that have no sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And the Bible says that from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to peel off. And you see this? They begin to peel off. They begin to go. They're convicted of their conscience. And Jesus looked, up, looked at the young lady, whoever she was, and says, where are your accusers, ma'am? No, they're gone. None, no one. They're gone. Now think about this. Perfect justice. Perfect mercy. We usually, get, we usually get out of balance one way or the other in the church. We get over in a sentimentality that excuses sin or we're so harsh that nobody could even repent. Perfect balance. What sweet words. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now look at this. I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness. Now listen to me. You can say things many, many different ways. He could have said it. You better go and sin no more. I don't believe that's how he said it. Why? Bruce Reed, he won't break. Smorting wick, he won't. I believe he said it. Like almost like this. You don't have to sin anymore. You follow me, you're coming out. You're coming. See, you follow me, I'm going to lead you out of darkness. I'm going to lead you out of broken relationships. I'm going to lead you out of immorality. I'm going to lead you out of darkness, out of hopelessness, out of emptiness. Follow me because I'm the light of life. Jesus leads us into truth and light and righteousness. I wish I knew the backstory. I wish we could have had a biography of this lady. I believe she found a good man. I believe she had kids. I believe till she was an old lady the rest of her life. She said, let me tell you my testimony. He said to me, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. Now think about it. Here's mercy. Neither do I condemn you. Here's justice. Go and sin no more. Now think about this. What's a bruised reed? Now, let me just touch on this quickly, and I'm, I'm almost done. Give me another two minutes. Verse 2 says, he don't cry out in the street. He won't cry. Listen, this is Jesus. He'll not cry out in the street. He won't raise his voice in the street. Listen to this comment. I quote, the Messiah will be peaceful, not boisterous. He won't be threatening or lawless. He will not be a rabble rouser or a troublemaker. He will not take part in riots uprisings or revolts he will not be violent but rather 
Have a calm, restful spirit as a man of peace. That's what your Bible says. He won't be in the streets crying out. He won't be a part of that. That's not who he is. Now, I close with this. A bruised reed he won't break. A smorning wick he won't snuff out. What is a bruised reed? It's a worthless reed. It's, it's, it's broken and it's about to snap. It's hanging by a thread. It's no good for anything. You can't make a pin out of it. It's worthless, really. But he won't break it. A, a, a smoldering wick is, is a, a word that literally just those who their hope is almost all snuffed out. Their purpose for living is all but gone. They're not even hanging on a thread. They're hanging on half a thread. But it said he will be so loving and so kind and so gentle. A broken reed. Someone that's broken and the world just wants to throw away. He said, I won't throw you away. A broken reed, he won't break that. A smoldering wick that's about snuffed out and there's no hope. All of a sudden, he won't steal your hope. He'll give you hope. He will have compassion on the weak, the weary, and the diseased, the hungry, and the lepers, and the repentant. And it says that he is going to not be discouraged till he brings in the kingdom. He wouldn't give up as the servant of Jehovah. And aren't you glad he didn't quit? Why don't we not quit? He didn't quit. Even on the cross with nails in his hands and his feet, the servant of Jehovah said, they said, come down. If you're the son of God, then come down and save yourself. He would not because he said he wouldn't be discouraged. He wouldn't give up until he brought justice to the Gentiles. And that's what he's brought to us, justice. We are perfectly just in his sight. Not by our own good works, but we have been declared righteous by the grace of our God. Hallelujah. I want you to stand. I close with this. Thank you for being patient and attentive. Listen to this. Here's the application today as we conclude this. We have beheld the servant of Jehovah. We have beheld his calling, his title, his care, his character, and his courage. We should all realize in this room that we have been called to serve Jehovah God. Little s, but we are his servants. We also have a title, the church, the followers of Jesus, the servants of the Lord. We are to care for people, showing God's love and compassion to the world, just like Jesus did. We're to strive to have that righteous and holy character, as flawed as we may be, to strive to be the best we can be for His sake. And to have courage not to give up on the task, because we have a task to live and a, t- and a life to live. I close with this little brief story. Francis Havergal was an English-British songwriter. Miss Havergal, the day she died, on the day of her death, she was on her deathbed. And one of her friends was there at her bedside. And she asked her friend to read this psalm, or this, sorry, this passage out of Isaiah 42. 
that I've read to you this morning. And as her friend was reading it, came to the sixth verse. And she read these words, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you. And Miss Havergal stopped her. Weak body, weak voice, hanging between heaven and earth, time and eternity. And Miss Havergal whispered these words, called, held, and she said I can go home on that and she did she went out into eternity we have a life to live we have a church to build as we behold the servant of Jehovah I think he's beholding us saying I've called you to greatness what does that mean would you serve me would you serve me Scott and Patricia, such, such a beautiful way. They're going to serve the Lord. How will you and I serve the Lord? Sometimes it's just a phone call. Sometimes it's just a card. Sometimes it's just showing up. I want to serve Him, don't you? Why don't we just surrender ourselves to Him? Father, today we want to serve You. We want to serve You, Lord. We want to serve You. Lord, I'm reminded of that verse which states... That we are to surrender our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Lord, today, we as a church, we surrender our lives to you. We want to be your servants with a little s. We know Jesus is the servant of Jehovah. He is Messiah, the Lord. He is Redeemer. He served you in a perfect way. And Lord, help us to serve you in every way in Jesus name